Welcome to Prostate Cancer and You, a podcast produced by the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and the mission to educate, connect, and support men at risk, newly diagnosed individuals, survivors, and their families. It also connects organizations and professionals in Massachusetts seeking to conquer and cure prostate cancer. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and recently the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition honored the Medical Advisory Committee, presenting the 2021 Jack Colbert Award to Dr. Adam Keibel, Chief of Urologic Surgery at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. At the event, we had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Keibel about winning the award and the work he's involved with every day helping men with prostate cancer. The evening was also a gathering of previous Jack Colbert Award winners, and we thought it a good opportunity to hear from them as well. First, Dr. Jacques Carter, who won the award in 2015. Dr. Carter is with the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. He's an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and on the consulting staff at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. I questioned Dr. Carter about what he thought was critical right now in the fight against prostate cancer. Trying to find the right inflection points to screen men for prostate cancer, especially those at high risk. Right now, you come to see me, you're a high-risk black guy, 45. I'm going to see you every year. Well, maybe I don't need to see you every year. Maybe if you have a certain PSA score, I can say, come to see me again in two years for a repeat or three years, depending on the numbers. We don't quite know that yet, so we have to sort of lay out that groundwork and set those standards. And then if we do that the right way, they'll be the standards for the country. So we're working with a group right now, many of whom are on this committee, to bring them, and of course at BID, Kennedy, and Dana, that are working to get this done. And if we do that, uh, it'll be a, a national standard about when you should screen. It's not population-based screening, but individually individualized screening processes for people at high risk. Somebody at low risk, no, no big deal. Yeah. You mentioned the black male who is very much at risk, yeah. more so than white males. We've talked about this in the past, but is there any new data that indicates what's happening and why? You'll love this. There's, you know, we talk about the fact that black guys get uh, prostate cancer at 1.5, maybe 1.8 times the rate of white men. And that's a totally separate piece, you know. But in terms of once they get diagnosed, they die at two and a half times the rate of a white man. So the big question is, well, why is that? And what's going on, you know, that we're dying so, so awfully uh, 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 high numbers? One piece is that uh, a lot of these guys get diagnosed late, late in the course of their disease. They don't get good screening. They don't get medical care. I got a call uh, from um, a friend of mine who had uh, somebody who worked for him, a 60-year-old guy who wanted a primary care doctor. And I said, sure, I'll see this guy. Um, I get an, a call from the guy. I gave him an appointment. took six weeks. I gave him an appointment. No indication that he was sick. I get a call the day of his appointment saying, I apologize for canceling my appointment, but I'm in the hospital diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer. Oh, Clearly, that didn't just happen. This is somebody who didn't get care at some point, and it built up and built up and built up. And now, all of a sudden, he's got a really bad disease that you can't cure. You can treat it. You're not going to cure it. When we look at all of the numbers now, and we find situations where black men are getting the exact same care as white men, the numbers are pretty much even. If I get the same treatment as you with the same level of disease, our outcomes are the same. The VA did those studies, and the outcomes are the same. And finally, education is so important, getting the word out. And we've done it here with the coalition, but what other methods do you see as effective in getting the word out to that population particularly? Yeah, well, we have to, um, we have to go to where the men are. We have to go to, uh, or go to where 
we can give information out that we get back to them. So we always talk about going to churches. Even if the guys don't come, their wives come and they can take information back. We have programs. We talk about going to the barbershops, going to sports events, getting um, uh, athletes who are very popular to be involved in some of the public service announcements mm-hmm. for these kind of things. Those are the kind of things that we need to do. I remember when the task force recommendations came out about uh, 2012, I guess, that, you know, that uh, there was no benefit to screening. And it was all over the news. My wife called me and said, you don't have to screen for prostate cancer anymore. You know, I heard it on ABC. No more screening. Well, that was was not for us because we're still at higher risk. And they sort of missed the boat on that because the the studies were not, not properly done. And we're still working to get back away from that big splash 10 years ago about not screening. We're still working on that now. We have the task force recommendation that you should be looking at high-risk men. That's a change from 2012, and we need to get to the point where we have more data to support us screening men on a regular basis at high risk. Average-risk men, totally different category. Radiologist Dr. Claire Tempany from Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School won this prestigious award in 2019. Here she talks about advancements in the field and reasons to be hopeful. We've come on a long journey, and we're in a new place today than we were when I started my career. Men with prostate cancer now can have a map of their prostate performed with imaging before any form of treatment. So they and their doctors can see the tumor for the first time. Uh, They can appreciate the volume, the extent, the stage, and talk really intelligently and objectively now about the pros and cons of various forms of therapy. Even before therapy, if we think if we go back to the biopsy, I think the story of how we've, we've changed the approach to prostate cancer biopsy is, is really a monumental change where in the past um, it was really like looking for a needle in a haystack. The needles were put into the gland sort of randomly, right, left, top, bottom, uh, hoping to maybe hit something or hoping to not hit something. Um, but as it was, uh, there was a lot of underdiagnosis and people would say overdiagnosis in men who perhaps were found to have a lot of, of low-grade disease. So when we talk about overdiagnosis, it's not just the cancer, it's the type of cancer. So I think we're getting much better now about being able to tell indolent cancer low-grade versus aggressive or high-grade. And that's the first step in every man's journey with this disease, is what type of disease do I have? Do I really need to be treated or do I not? And then once you make the determination to go to treatment, we have newer treatments, of course. Um, It's not just a a whole gland surgery. Now one can do focal therapy, which is dedicated to the focus of cancer. Similar to the journey of breast cancer, if you think back in the beginning, it was radical mastectomy. Uh, then it became lumpectomy. Well, this is the same story. Is it, it, Radical prostatectomy may go away, and lumpectomy, be it an ablation or a surgical removal of a lump, is less likely to be that, but um, is much more common. And then, you know, I could go on, um, but it's obviously very exciting what's going on in the biomarker space and in the genetic space. Very interesting findings um, in the BRCA gene, for example, which is a well-known gene for women with breast cancer, turns out to be almost as valuable in men with prostate cancer. But it wasn't studied as closely in the beginning. And so there's a lot, a lot happening. So absolutely. Are things accelerating as technology often does in our world in this particular area of healthcare? Yeah, I mean, I think it is. Um, New imaging techniques are coming out, new biomarkers are coming out all the time. And there is a push and a pull, which biomarker should I do when, and which blood test should I do when, which imaging test when. And so I think we're working through trying to get really solid evidence-based 
data to determine which tests and which biomarkers at what stage of the disease. And then, of course, the therapies for advanced castrate-resistant prostate cancer, sort of men with at the other end of the spectrum. A lot of excitement going on there with new forms of, you know, cancer therapies such as at the PARP inhibitors or others that are people who move on from baseline chemotherapies and regimes. So yes, there are a lot of choices. And that makes life good, but it also makes it more complicated. In, in systemic therapies, one also needs to map out all foci of disease. And we're getting much better in the PSMA, for example, the new, new pet tracer agency agent, excuse me, is um, very exciting because it's picking up very small deposits of cancer in lymph nodes that were previously thought to be benign. So PSMA is a new test that's now really helping us determine, is this man has yet what stage of disease and what extent? And it also gives us an imaging test to track the therapy over time. So if you start therapy A and it's not working, you'll see that the imaging doesn't change or it gets worse. Well, then you can very quickly change over to a different therapy instead of waiting months and months. And some of these experimental therapies, as you well know, are very expensive. And so one doesn't really want to use an expensive therapy unless it's really working. So by the fact that we have an imaging biomarker to track therapy, it's really exciting. Also commenting on progress in the field of prostate cancer care, Dr. Richard Babayan, urologist at Boston Medical Center and Professor Emeritus and Chairman of the Urology Department at the BU School of Medicine. The biggest excitement is in the longevity of people with metastatic prostate cancer. We have a whole lot of new therapies. Uh, It's not just... uh, hormones anymore. There are all types of new treatment options to offer patients, and we can increase their longevity even when they have non-curable disease. Want to give us an example without getting too technical as to what we're talking about? Sure. There are a variety of newer uh, genetically-based therapies. We can um, look and, in many cases, do patient-specific treatments, understand what their prostate cancer is and how it may respond to different therapies. So we have a lot more options available to us today, especially in the medical oncology realm. And I'm asking everyone about screening and early detection and advancements and needs going forward, but where are we in screening in your estimation? I don't think we've made any striking advances. I I think once we make a diagnosis now, um, we can look and see We have some predictive markers that might tell us who's at jeopardy for rapid advancement and who's got relatively indolent disease. So we're seeing a lot of patients with Gleason 3 plus 3 disease who don't need active treatment, who can go on active surveillance, and they can put off um, any definitive therapy for decades. And what's your advice to men who don't regularly go to their doctors for checkups and don't look into this, men in their middle years particularly, what advice do you have for them regarding prostate cancer? Learn a lesson from your, your wives, your sisters, your daughters. Uh, women go for regular checkups and they do much better in terms of breast and ovarian cancer detection than men do with prostate cancer. There's nothing wrong with going and seeing a doctor when you're feeling well because that's the only time you're going to be able to pick up prostate cancer when it's curable. So I I really push on patients to take an active role in their health. Before chatting with Dr. Keibel, our guest of honor, 
I had the opportunity to say hello to Dr. Glenn Bubbly with a specialty in hematology and oncology at the Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and a winner in 2009 of the Jack Colbert Award. We talked about the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, new technologies that came about because of the pandemic that are helping patients and physicians today. So we've learned how to do uh, Zoom conferences with physicians all over the Commonwealth that want to present a difficult case in prostate cancer. Uh, we used to do this in person. It never really worked. And now we have a whole other way of, of interacting with people. We're trying to do some hybrid Zoom things so that the doctors have kind of learned how to make this work better. The patients can also do, if they live in Massachusetts, televisions, then they didn't have to come in to see us sometimes. And sometimes they don't need to. And we can deliver care that way. So there, those are the upsides. We've learned how to do, make it a little bit easier for patients, a lot easier for physicians that want to do uh, tumor boards, discuss their difficult cases. I've been asking all of the uh, interviewees about what's turning them on, what's exciting them about the field now, particularly in Boston. We have a lot more drugs. We have a lot of new drugs and we're trying to figure out how to do them. We're going to get more drugs, lutetium-177. So we've had a number of approvals in the last five years, and then we've learned how to put these drugs together to make big changes in overall survival. So that's been really the big, huge sea change in this disease. And people are really living longer. It's nice because I've been here 35 years <laughs> in cancer, in prostate cancer. And you're talking about those with metastatic disease? Yes. So that's good news. Yes. What do we still have to work on? Well, no matter what, I mean, when we have lots of metastatic disease, it's still a, it's, we can try to, as much as we can, turn into a chronic illness. That works for a while. After that, it doesn't work so well. So we're still looking for other drugs, other concepts. There's coming out. There's new concepts that are coming out that I think are going to be helpful. And still adding more and more time and life to these patients who have gone through a lot. But I'm trying to hand the baton to the next generation. <laughs> Specific, really, honestly, I'm try, I have young people that I brought here with me that are um, working in my group. And I'm, I think the, one of the things that doctors need to learn is when to get out of the way. And now to our guest of honor, Dr. Adam Keibel, Chief of Urology Surgery at the Brigham and Women's Hospital and the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, and very proud to win the 2021 Jack Colbert Award. I think it's a, a recognition of what my, it's not really just a recognition for me, it's a recognition for all the people that I've worked with through the years, uh, trying to do a better job of treating individual patients, but also uh, educating uh, the next generation of leaders, uh, and lastly, uh, pushing the envelope so we deliver innovative care. I mean, my, my mantra right now is uh, I want to deliver 2,030 care in 2021, right? And I've been saying that 10-year ten, ten for 10-year advancement. So if you ask me in 2000 what I want to do, I'd want to deliver 2010 care. You know, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Tell us what you're working on now and why men should be hopeful. Sure. So uh, really, at, at about, I'd say it's actually about 20 years ago, I realized that we were treating an awful lot of men for prostate cancer who probably didn't need to be treated. So really, the focus of my work for the past 20 years has been identification of men who are at risk for dying of prostate cancer and then treating them more aggressively so that we can do a better job of, of, of curing patients who actually need to be cured uh, and at the same time maintaining their quality of life. So the projects that uh, I'm working on now, which I think are an evolution of that, of that concept, is number one, uh, the identification of men who are truly at risk for developing and then dying of prostate cancer. 
uh, hope, using genetics, hopefully identifying them before they even develop the disease so we could use preventive measures mm -hmm. uh, in order to prevent the disease from occurring or at least screen them more aggressively and then treat them before the cancer has an opportunity to progress. And then for patients who truly have aggressive disease when we identify them, integrating multimodality therapy, meaning using surgery, radiation, and uh, hormonal therapy or systemic therapy such as chemotherapy or targeted therapy to take patients that in the past we thought were incurable and cure them. How important has the development of the gene code been to really understanding this disease and other diseases related and can you talk a little bit about therapies that involve our genes? Sure. It's interesting. So uh, now, probably about 15 years ago, I was working in St. Louis uh, and somebody came to me and said, you know what we can do? We can actually sequence all the genes in a human being. And at the time, that was like, my God, that's rocket science. I can't believe that's possible. So we started sequencing individuals that had aggressive tumors. We started sequencing the tumors of people that had, uh, you know, aggressive tumors. Uh, and we were not alone in this mission. There were multiple other places that were doing it, including the Broad uh, right here in Boston. And, and what's come out of that is identifying that there are certain genes that appear to be uh, either associated with or cause aggressive prostate cancer, primarily genes within DNA repair. Uh, DNA, the concept of DNA repair is when we're constantly having our DNA broken and rearranged, and there are genes in our body that, that put them back together in the right way. And if those genes aren't working right in terms of putting that DNA back together in the correct manner, that, that increases the likelihood of developing cancer. What's really fascinating about this is these are not only targets for treatment, uh, excuse me, uh, uh, targets to identify who has aggressive prostate cancer. They're actually targets for treatment. Uh, you can leverage the fact that there's a defect in DNA repair in the cancer cell, and that's what causes the cancer to become aggressive. But if you can tip it over the edge where it can't fix its own DNA, because it still needs to fix its DNA, even though it's a cancer cell, it still needs to fix its DNA. If you tip it over the edge because it has that defect, all of a sudden the cancer cell dies. So patients that have defects in, say, BRCA1 and BRCA2, it's not just breast cancer anymore, it's prostate cancer as well, they can get PARP inhibition. And PARP inhibition actually uh, you know, is targeted therapy that leads the patients to, to live longer. Uh, another example is uh, defects in uh, mismatch repair. That's a, a different uh, set of genes that help fix DNA. And those patients appear to do much better if you give them immunotherapy, like uh, uh, Pembro. Uh, and uh, it, it actually, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just wonderful that we have this ability to identify the, the cancer cells that will respond to a specific therapy. I mean, uh, one thing that is related is the ability to maybe sequence an individual's genes and then look at what, what things are being expressed in that individual's cancer cell and then target those individual genes that are being expressed. It is an approach of leveraging uh, technology in order to attack what's, what's specific about an individual's cancer as opposed to just generic prostate cancer. You talked a few minutes ago about your wish list in 2000, 2010, 2021. How about a wish list for the next three months or six months, besides funding, which is always the need? Is there a magic wand to wave to move things along faster in this industry? No, there's, I, I, unfortunately, there's no magic wand. It's, you know, success is the result of hard work, diligence, uh, and intelligent people attacking a problem. The things that uh, would make my life uh, easier right now is some of the breakthroughs that we have, such as PSMA uh, PET imaging, which is a fantastic breakthrough. Right now, the uh, insurance industry is still catching up with, uh, you know, the FDA approval. 
Uh, I don't think that's totally inappropriate. I think they need time in order to evaluate a, 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 a test and see whether or not it's actually going to be helpful in terms of making patients live longer. But my hope and prayer is that in three months we're no longer going to be we're going to be able to get this test easily for our patients to do a better job of, of, of identifying patients who need additional therapy. Finally, because you're here representing not just the hospital you work at, but all the Boston hospitals, all the New England uh, centers, yeah. just a word or two to the men and women listening to know it's a team of people, very smart people from all of these institutions often working together, isn't it? Yeah, no, it really is. And I think the uh, Massachusetts uh, Prostate Cancer Coalition should really be lauded for the uh, ability and willingness to bring together uh, individuals who share a common goal, which is to eradicate prostate cancer. Uh, I think patient advocacy in particular is particularly important in terms of ensuring that we keep our eye on the prize, which is uh, improving men's lives. I think I'm very fortunate to be in a field where there is a lot of congeniality. Um, I, I'm happy to live in a part of the country where people are focused on, uh, you know, improving people's lives. Uh, I'm not saying that there isn't a little bit of an element of competition between all the different groups, uh, but at the end of the day, we all have a common goal, which is to eradicate this disease and essentially put ourselves out of business. I think men out there need to, they really need to be screened. Uh, they need to be strong advocates for their own health, not only around prostate cancer, but around other things, uh, such as heart disease, colon cancer, lung cancer. I'm still a reasonably young man at the age of 56, but I've reached an age where I have friends that are starting to have cancer, have heart disease. Uh, men need to be strong advocates for themselves and recognize that uh, they need to reach out to their doctor. Uh, they need to allow their loved ones to help take care of them uh, in order to ensure that they... Uh, they live long and fruitful lives. We hope you enjoyed this brief visit with some members of the talented Medical Advisory Committee, all of whom, including the 2021 award winner, dedicated to improving screening, finding new treatments, and ultimately curing prostate cancer. To learn more about the Massachusetts Prostate Cancer Coalition and to hear the Prostate Cancer in You podcast, visit masspcc.org. This podcast available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google, Spotify, and more. This is Jordan Rich. Have a great day.